podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Kathy Long, Dan Austin and Rob Gutman with you for the next ooh, hour or so. But it's not just them. We've also got John Arnabisa, Paddy Berger and Gary McAllister as part of the Legends game. We've got John Gibbons chatting away to them as he loves to do. I think they now see him as part of the furniture for these Legends events. And we've also got Dan Hewitt talking about West Brom. Why West Brom, you might say? Well, one of the reasons why West Brom is because at the minute West Brom are run atrociously. And I think at times we focus so much on our own football club. What we actually lose the, the idea of is the context in which they operate. Liverpool may not always be perfect, but my God, at the minute they're a, a damn sight better than West Brom and Jalbion. That is all to come. But we're going to start off talking about the dream. And the dream is always, oh, go Cathy first. The dream is always winning the title. And. Something occurred to me the other day that Mohamed Salah was chatting away uh, about his title-winning dream with Liverpool. Mohamed Salah's title-winning dream. And what I thought was, well, our manager says, well, I don't really talk about the history with the players or anything like that. And yet Mohamed Salah's aware of it. I think the manager is privately selling them this dream that you win one title with Liverpool, it's worth three titles anywhere else. He's selling them that dream. Everything else is blarney. I hope he's selling them that dream, actually, yeah. I hope he is, because I've sometimes felt like the um, like it's it's been it's ended up being like too much of a weight around people's neck. It's it's ended up playing on people in a way that you don't want it to, in the way that it's almost frightened them. It's almost become too big and too much, and I think that it needs to be looked at as this as this great achievement and a better achievement than it is anywhere else. I think that Rob, that's what he's doing. I think that's exactly what's happening. I think they're yeah. all they're all aware of it. They all know it. But he doesn't want them to feel weighed down by it. He wants them to see it as this huge thing that you can do if you come to Liverpool. And when you are at Liverpool, come on, get on board with this party. It's it's our balancing act, our eternal balancing act that we've always been doing since 1990 when we won the league. It's uh, is our is our history a burden or is it is it an asset? And Klopp's arrived and he sat down. He's smarter than most, I think, who've been involved at the football club, and he's tried to weigh up where that balance lies. He knows that that the shirt weighs heavy and that. You can't you can't win the league in the next game, which is I think what we always mm. I think that's what we want to do. We want to win the European Cup in the very next game. I know and I do. Can we do yeah, that? We know we've <laughs> we got to, that off. We've got to be, we've yeah. got to win a tie. That's all we've got to do, and then win another tie. But you you can only mm. beat it's it's the one game a time cliche. So you've you've got to live in the moment. I think as a in any sports environment, I think to be successful, it's about focus and concentration. So he's got to get them to live in the moment. But at the same time, he wants him to imbue them with a confidence that is bigger than them, if, if that makes sense. And he also wants them to be ambassadors of that confidence and that legend, to go out and sell it, as you suggested, to others, to the football world. It's, it's, re- it's a really difficult question to answer, to be honest. It's one which the scale of the challenge, Dan, is I think the... The thing that I wonder, how he puts that over to the players within all of this, you know, we're already, I think, on some level, even though we've got a great chance of winning the Champions League, as much of a chance as anyone else who remains in it, we've got a great chance. But on one level, we're st- we're, I think we're thinking already somewhere about next season, the scale of the challenge, looking at what Manchester City are doing now, it's why we all want to finish the league strongly. Do you think he's putting that over to them that this is that the you know the, the scale of the challenges that you'll have to be able to do this in this current moment to match that history? Um, I don't think it's necessarily to do with the history specifically, but he talks about momentum an awful lot, um, and he's done that since he came in um, in terms of telling them um, like it, it, he after we lost the Europa League final, he spoke quite a few times about how important it was that we'd even got there and that we'd won the ties. Proceed in the final, 
um, because it would help them grow subsequently. And he did a similar thing after he lost the League Cup final as well um, against Manchester City because that could be taken negatively in that, you know, Liverpool have started losing finals or, mm. or you know, the, the, the bottle in these games, you can frame it like that if you wanted to. But he seems to take it another way and say that, all right, that failure, if you want to call it that, is part of you becoming successful. Um, it's part of you learning what these runs are like. It's part of us as as the coaching staff learning how to manage a set of players because we've seen this season how he's done that an awful lot differently to what he did last season. Um, so I think it's not necessarily to do with when you were talking about you know if you win one title at Liverpool it's worth three elsewhere and then you can pick more up and more up. You just got to get over that first hurdle. I'm not necessarily sure that that's about the history of of the club and and where it's come from before. I think that's just his way of talking to them and and, and his way of selling a project. I think he's always seen things in stages. He talked about that very early on. And I know he was having conversations with the club about saying, you know, this is a five-year project and I will be here for five years and, and no less or hopefully and, and no more. So I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think he's always seen those things as staging posts and about getting to a final, about always being about the progress that you've made rather than about seeing it negatively in terms of what you've lost. I've got something else on this, Cathy, which I think the other thing I think he's seen is I think he's seen Guardiola go to City. And I think he has, before anyone else, because he's lived it in Germany, and I think this is really important, yeah. he's lived it in Germany, and I think he's sort of gone, hang on, this, this fella aims for 100 points. So I've got to at least aim for 90 to have a chance. And I think you've seen that. He's, he's very much, I think he looks to me like the first Liverpool manager who's genuinely trying to build a squad that can get 90 points, that can win 30 games in a, in a league season. Mm. I think that's what he's doing because he's got that experience and that knowledge. And I, and I think something... It felt to me like with the fans, something happened with 13, 14 and those those amazing seasons and coming so close that actually made us all sort of step back after that. It was almost like we got so caught up in it that we've now taken a step back and gone, actually, slate clean. We've, we've got to stop looking back and it will be in about that next title. We've just got to look at the next game and not, not think in those terms again because it felt like it was so damaging at the time. Yeah, I think you're right, Neil. I think he, I think he is building a squad to try and get 90 points, and it's an interesting challenge. And this all sounds a bit mad, but I think to get 90 points, you've got to make winning easier. You can't, you can't be playing 38 cup finals. You can't do it. You need to walk. I mean, I watched the great Liverpool sides, and it was easy at times. Teams were beaten before they came on the pitch, and that's why I think Klopp put so much store in winning 4-0, 5-0, 6-0. I think why, that's why I think he thinks it's important, why sometimes he doesn't take players off when we think he should, because he wants them to score more goals, he wants them to, to feel like world beaters, and he wants the team to come off the pitch being a, not a 2 or 3-0 team, but a 5-6-7-0 team. If, you become, if you're capable of being that good for periods of time, that, then the job of winning becomes easier. Then you wake up and suddenly found you've won 12 matches without breaking sweat. And then you're in the realm of becoming a side that can look at 90. I think the that to me is now, as I say, I mean, we've got the eye on next season. That's, that is the question because it's not, let's be clear about this, this Man City side could end up over 100 points this season. And I really do think that's what they've aimed for. I think that's what they want. That's what they've aimed for. That's what they've gone at. And in years gone by, I've sort of looked at our chances of a title and, and phrased it as well. If we're just somewhere in the running around X, you never know your luck. But now to, it's it's every chance that for the next season, while Guardiola's still at City and maybe even beyond that point next season, maybe even the season after, it's not enough to just sort of toddle along at two points a game and you'll never know your luck in a raffle. It's it's you know I don't think there is going to be another Leicester City not just in terms of Leicester coming from where they did but also the number of points that they did it with the fact that they ended up with no rivals around them mm-hmm. I don't think that's happening again this decade now I think it's, it is a real 
this is how good you're going to have to be, boys. And that is, if you think about that in the context of not signing a centre-half until I can get Van Dijk, because he's the sort of centre-half who plays in a team that gets 90 points. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what you can see here. I think you can see that's what he's doing. Yeah, I agree with that. And he's probably just looked at the context of the league. I know you're talking about City this season. Um, Chelsea didn't quite hit the heights last season that City have this time around. But they went on that 14-game unbeaten run and absolutely had it boxed off by, what, mid mid to late January, I think it was, where it was very clear who was going to win the league and everyone else was playing for second. Um, Even the season before, I know that Leicester is a completely different thing. But they were top of the league for months and months and months and and no one got quite realistically close to them again. Um, It was just, you know, the the worry about whether they were going to win the league or not was because they were Leicester. Um, It wasn't because people were actually looking at the points tally in the gap and thinking... You know, someone could get back into that. So it, it it has become a bit of a trend over the past few years that there's not this. Even though people would say, oh, you know, there's a top six now and all these teams have got loads of money and they've all got really good players. It's actually quite sort of sectioned off. Um, what it certainly has been over the last few years anyway. Into There's quite often been a team that's finished at the bottom of it. It's Arsenal this season. United last season were, were at the bottom of that. They were sixth for months and months and months, weren't they? And also at the top, Chelsea last season... Um, City this season so I think he's looking at it as though that's what they have to get to they have to get to a stage where they can win 12 games in a row they can win 13 out of 15 they can do something like that and I know that we've done that already this season roughly in that period after the Spurs game up until the Swansea one um, but we've seen already how that isn't really enough to be in a title yeah. challenge because Man City have been so incredible so I think it's not necessarily a case of oh you know we have to match this specific team or, or, or whatever it's we have to be that team next season we have to be the one that lays the market down at the beginning having managed yeah. our players mm-hmm. well over the summer and the season previously added to the squad whatever it is we've got different players to play slightly different systems we've seen them play the, the 4-1 4-1 thing um, and it's it, it's a case of just being relentless in the sense that those teams have been I think I can think of athletics analogies there's the 1500 metres where, where you position yourself for two thirds of the way around, to just be at the back of the chasing pack, and then you go, then you kick for home. That's a way of winning a league. I think Ferguson at times played it that way for United, but I think what Klopp's doing is he's looking at the way Mourinho just got out the blocks, like uh, Guardiola has got out the blocks. I mean, there's this talk about when you train for uh, 100 meters to get your best time, you actually train for 100, uh, 110 meters to get your best time. Mm-hmm. And I think aiming for what you're describing, 90 points, it's a bit of that. You know, aim for the moon, fall amongst the stars. I know, I know, you're sort of alluding to the fact that it's going to take ninety to compete with City, but it's definitely going to take eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. So you need to aim above that. You need to become a team that gathers points at that at that that fastest of rates. I think he's a very patient manager as well, actually. He manages to yeah. come across as this sort of, you know, enthusiastic, everything sort of at full speed, you know, full on type of person. But actually, I think in the background, I think he manages to be infectious in that way Pet, for each game but he's actually very patient he's playing a long game you know we've seen it where he'll wait for players that he wants that he's got a plan he's got a certain type of players that are going to fit into the way he wants to play and, and he won't be rushed he won't be rushed into some of the sort of signings that we've made in the past he won't be rushed indeed uh, this is the Anfield wrap after the break uh, John has talked about the Liverpool's Champions League chances with John Anarisa Patrick Berger and Gary McAllister after that we've got Dan Hewitt and then we'll all be back uh, to have a chat about the fact that Liverpool at the minute does feel like a football club which is all pulling in the same direction and how important it is that that remains the case don't go anywhere 
Welcome back, Radio City Talk. Uh, Neil Atkinson here. Uh, we'll get back to everybody else in a minute. But before then, I'm talking to John Gibbons. Uh, you've had a morning, John. One of those mornings that you have these days. <laughs> yeah, I've been out to see all my mates. He used to play for Liverpool, and uh, you know it's nice to see him catch up. Do you know what I mean? That's what these legends games are all about for the footballers. Yeah, catching up with you. Yeah, exactly. And so that was that was really nice for them and me. Um, so we went out breakfast at Hope Street Hotel. I mean, I didn't get invited to the breakfast bit. Didn't you? No. Well, I got invited to the uh, standing round. And, um, I mean, you're a man who's got a, got a record, a strong Friday breakfast record, to be honest <laughs> with you, of networking meetings. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, maybe they didn't realise that. But uh, there, was a, there was obviously a few, a few of us with microphones in the room talking to a few of the players who were playing tomorrow. And they're all really excited. They're all made up to see each other, which is nice. It's like, you know, a school reunion, but actually one you want to go to. Um, <laughs> So they're excited to see each other. Um, they're excited to play tomorrow, and and why wouldn't they be? And they're excited about this season as well, which is quite cool as well. So you know, you're there to talk about this game and stuff, but they they, they want to talk about this Liverpool team and how exciting they are and how much they they'd like to play for them. So that's quite nice as well. That is really nice indeed. So just let us know uh, who is it that you've spoken to. Yes, yeah, so it's John Anarisa first. Who I don't introduce. Uh, so apologies to John. Um, you know, but then there is Patrick Berger and Guy McAllister after that. Here we are. There's not many supporters who I don't think could sell out a Legends game. It just shows, first of all, what you guys achieve, but secondly, just the passion of the fans here is something else. Oh, I, I said that a lot long. Uh, I never really understood how um, how big Liverpool was before I signed in 2001. Then went to Asia or something on pre-season and realised how big this club is. And now, been playing the seven years and obviously ten years since I left, I can still feel the love from the support and uh, of the supporters of Liverpool and. You know, you don't get any big in a Liverpool uh, when it comes to the fans because they, they, they support the team no matter where they go, how the team is going, they support them. And uh, I feel the support now, even 10 years after I left. You know what? I said plenty of times. I mean, it's, it's like a family club, you know. Every club, every player is taken care of uh, from the best possible people around the club, within the club. Uh, and even when you leave, you keep in touch with the same people, you know, even if it's the kitchen ladies at Melwood uh, or the media guys or, or the players or the coaches, you always, when you see them, it's, it's the same love as when you were here. So uh, it doesn't matter if you play seven years or, or a year, you still love the same way. Um, and, the, you know, the club takes care of us. And, uh, you know, I'm coming here and seeing the people I've seen, haven't seen for a long time, it's like, a, like I never left. So... Uh, my family knows how much I love coming back here and that's why I brought my family for this game because they have some good memories here as well. Now with Patrick Berger. Patrick, you played lots of times for Liverpool. Is it still special? Are you still looking forward to tomorrow? Well, of course. You know, It's, it's a long time ago that I have played at Anfield. Uh, last year I missed the game because of my back injury. Um, so this is going to be, uh, you know, for the first time back at Anfield to be able to play. So I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I can't wait to play. And it's a sellout as well, which just shows that the supporters still want to see you guys play football and they must, they must still believe you've got what it takes. It, it is unbelievable that they want to see old people playing football, you know, so... Uh, no, but it is amazing. You can you you, you can you can see how um, you know Liverpool fans are passionate. You know what what it means for them to uh, what it mean, what the club means to them. And obviously, you know there is a lot of players in the squad that have won something for Liverpool. And you know, it it is unbelievable. It's uh, you know it is the LFC family, and you know we're all looking forward to it. 
And obviously, you're here to raise money for the foundation, which is brilliant, but you're all competitive guys. You won't want to lose the game either. Well, obviously, the, 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 the main thing is uh, the LFC foundation, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody wants to lose. You know, we, we're not playing competitively anymore, but, you know, the competitive edge is still there, and, you know, we don't want to lose at home, you know. So uh, we're definitely going to go to the game to, to win it and uh, uh, entertain the fans. What did it mean for you when you sat in for Liverpool? Can you remember getting the call saying Liverpool won you and what that meant? I was just saying uh, earlier that, uh, you know, I had seven years at Liverpool. I played with unbelievable players, you know, over the years. 2001 was a special year. Uh, but for me, uh, the day when I signed for Liverpool, my dream came true. And that's, uh, that's the highlight for me. You know, uh, basically, this is it. Uh, Liverpool are in the Champions League quarterfinals. The, the atmosphere is now going to ramp up. You've played for Liverpool on famous European nights in that run in 2001. What is it like playing in front of a crowd like that? And what do these players have to look forward to in this run? I mean, they have played already, you know, a few, few games in the Champions League at home. So, you know, they, they're used to it. They know that, you know, that European nights at Anfield are always special. And, um, you know, they're they playing well at the moment. You know, they 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 sitting in the league, you know, uh, third in the league. So they, they play the way they play. Uh, they play the Liverpool way in a way, you know, they try, they like, they like to go forward scoring goals, which everyone likes. Uh, and over the, over the two legs in the Champions League, I think they can beat anybody. So, uh, if they can, if they can keep the form they have, you know, they don't need to fight anyone, you know, they're not, uh, in the last eight, um, you know, in, in the last eight, you always have fantastic teams and Liverpool is a fantastic team and I think they can face anybody. Gary McAllister, the game's tomorrow, how's the, how's the fitness? Fitness is not bad, you know, but uh, it's been enjoyable today, you know, they're coming together of loads of old ex-teammates and, and teammates, you know, from other generations, so it's, well, everybody's looking forward to the game. And Bayern Munich, huge opponents. They've got some young lads who've only just retired and things like that. Have you got any plans to get them on the aisle tonight or anything? <laughs> no, that's the thing. You know, you look, you look at our squad, though. We are, we are not bad. We are well covered for fitness and legs. Don't worry about that. So these games tend to start off nice and friendly, you know, and it's for a great cause, the Liverpool Foundation. But as soon as that whistle goes, you know, the first tackle, the game's become very competitive. You know, you've got two, two, two teams and two sets of players who are, who are used to winning and they want, they want to win these games as well. There's, there's players here like with Rushy behind me who played almost his whole career at Liverpool, uh, John Arnaurisa as well, I think they're close to 10 years. You were only actually at Liverpool a couple of yeah. years, but it's obviously got into your skin so, so much, got into you so much that you want to help out the foundation and stay connected. Yeah. Obviously it helps what you won, yeah. but what was it more than that that makes you feel such like part of Liverpool? Well, do you know what the in history and tradition will tell you that, that, that Scots have settled well here? You know, traditionally and historically, Scots have come here and, 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 and had a good association with the, with the fans and the people of Liverpool I think probably because we're very similar very similar in our you know humour you know I, I don't think you know, we, we don't mind taking fun at ourselves so I, I always I've always felt that, in that when I played here you know that association with the fans of the fact that the Scots and the Scousers do get on but also you know when you're when you're playing in big key games and, and you've got a crowd when you need the crowd that's been the big thing they've always been there 
you mentioned that uh, Liverpool are now going into a Champions League knockouts mm-hmm. where they'll be coming against some brilliant teams, but the, we know the atmosphere is going to be brilliant. You've played for Liverpool on famous European nights. What have these players got to look forward to now in these huge ties? You know, there, there, there was you know a couple of games, a couple of seasons, games against Dortmund and Manchester United at Anfield. This present crop of players have, have felt what can happen at Anfield. And, and, and over the years, it's been proven. You, you, you can never tell what's happened. There's been so many special nights at Anfield. And, you know, looking at this tie against Man City, I, I don't think that'll be any different. That's going to be very special, both games. John Honorisa, Paddy Berger and Gary McAllister there. John, John, it, you know, you've, you, you're right to focus in on with them there, this... <laughs> the idea of that Europa League run it's become a bit forgotten that Europa yeah. League run anyway I think by us because we don't go there's so much disappointment about not, not closing it out not winning the trophy we've sort of glossed over the rest in a sense if we'd have gone out in the semis we'd probably talk more about the run that got them there then if you know what I mean and <laughs> and you know it's also like the storage goal is a great forgotten goal in the final it's a great goal by a Liverpool player in a final of a European tournament Lovren's late winner we, we now we're maybe even a bit complacent about but the players are right to point out that's a lot of European experience against good sides it is and I think I think it's because it was a weird season as well that's another reason it kind of gets forgotten I think if Jürgen Klopp would have come in in the summer and then done exactly the same thing in the, in the Europa League and, and done a bit better in the league then it, it might be like a, a run we talk about more but because it was it was almost well well this guy's going to be brilliant so th- and then and then the next season you know it doesn't I mean it's it's, it's alright but as Liverpool seasons go you know we haven't we haven't gone on to win the trophies and so I think that's part of it but it was it was interesting when speaking to those guys and, and they know what that's like as well especially McAllister you know he had the he had the Europa League win and run and then and that and that helped to when Liverpool kind of got in the Champions League and so and so he will know that as well so of course it was good that, that a couple of the lads kind of brought that up really that we think of us not being in the Champions League um, knockouts for, for nine years or kind of whatever it is, really. But these lads have got European experience. They've got experience of of what it's like to be down in games. They've got experience of, of going to places who, you know, where you're not expected to win like we did in Dortmund and went there and got a really good one-all draw. And that gets forgotten as well because everyone thinks about the home leg. But that away leg at Dortmund's a really, really good. Well, we, the, the general sort of, the general vibe was we're going to get battered. Yeah. Uh, or, or certainly from the Dortmund supporters, I think they thought Liverpool would turn up as lambs to the slaughter. I remember saying on the day, you'd be surprised by this Liverpool team to yeah. a few Dortmund supporters. Yeah. You'd be surprised what happens here. And it, it's not just the idea that we get the 1-1. We arguably with a better side first half. There's that mad goal mouth scramble that I'm still obsessed about <laughs> in the second half, which I really haven't forgotten. And then, yeah, Dortmund do sort of finish the stronger, but by about 75 minutes, everyone shook hands, which is a very European football thing yeah. as well. Yeah. But we're mature enough to shake hands at that moment. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And th- these players will have seen what ha- you know what happens in the, in the in the home leg, which is how you can harness an energy, and that's what those players really did in that game. You know, it's one thing's. I mean, it's funny, we're speaking to a lot of Man City fans at the moment and they keep saying, atmosphere doesn't win matches, atmosphere doesn't win matches. I think they're trying to talk themselves into it more than me, to be honest with you. But they're right, in a way, but this Liverpool team has, has proved that it knows how to harness it when it comes. And it did that against Man City in the home. Like, it, it, it harnesses, this is the moment where we strike. We've got the fans behind us, we've got them rattled, and this is where we score goals. And they've done that quite a few times now, and I think that'll be a big fun thing for us. And so I'm pleased that the, uh, these real-life footballers highlighted that too. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much to John. Uh, after the break, actually, me and John are talking to Dan Hewitt. Um, well, I'll be quite honest with you, Dan Hewitt is talking to us uh, about the struggles of West Bromwich Albion. And then after that, we're going to have a chat uh, back with everyone else about the fact that, you know, you look at clubs like West Brom, we talk Liverpool down a lot. But there's a, Liverpool at the minute do feel like they're all very much pulling in the same direction. That is all to come on Radio City Talk. Whatever you do in Liverpool, take it easy, be careful. Uh, but really hang on until after the break, it's the business. 
is our Reds betting, certainly Neil Atkinson and Mike Nevin. It's an international weekend, Mike. Uh, but that's, you know, it throws to me open some interesting, just little bits and pieces, really, that we've... It's a strange thing, isn't it, Liverpool and England? We do talk about it every now and again. We're not going to do it on this City Talk show, but we'll do it in this little insert in that, you know, we... We worry too much about it. Almost, I worry. I think at times the 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 let them get on with it. We don't have to like it, but we don't have to. You know, we don't have to stand in its way either. We can just sort of let it exist. International football, and there was a time as well when you were growing up where you know uh, St George's crosses would be seen on the cop. That you, mm. you see them all over San Etienne. That footage, it's. It, It'll always be a mix and mash. The 1980s don't help in general. But I think, you know, Italian 90 was a big thing for, for Liverpool supporters as much as anyone else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... Um, the thing with international football is you can, you can take it or leave it, literally. Um, across all of it. Across all of it. And for most for most people, I think, still, even kids today, the first experience, the first time that kids fall in love with football is probably during the summer when they're either watching the Euros or the World Cup. Because that it's the colour, it's the incessant coverage, it's the three matches a day. I mean, even allowing even you're on pre- school holidays, you're on school holidays. You can watch it. There's a ten o'clock game, depending on where the you know the yeah. tournament is. You know, if it's in if it's in South America, there's nothing more magical than watching a game of football at ten o'clock at night or eleven o'clock at night, and your dad saying, "Yeah, it's all right for you to stay up." <laughs> my, my my first experience of that was. Um, Actually, the reverse of that. My dad said, "You've got to go to bed. It's France Argentina. I'll watch it. and I'll tell you. What, I'll tell you what the score is going to be in the morning. <laughs> Half time." He said, "Wake up, lad. This is a fantastic game of football. You've got to come down. You want to see. You want to see Rick Hal, um, Leopoldo Luque. You want to see Kempes. You want to see Michel Platini. This is an incredible game. So, so I, I go. I go to bed at ten o'clock, and I'm up at midnight. <laughs> next, next morning in school, I was knackered. I got. I got. I got thirty three percent in a maths test. <laughs> my, the one I. The one that's in. My, I was. Eight, I was Mexico eighty six. Yeah. And I'd got my first game over the. You know, in, in that April of eighty six, and I'd. You know, there was obviously the Merseyside. The old Merseyside final in eighty six, and then there was that World Cup and. The grainy footage, you know, the 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 the, the muscle commentary, uh, yeah, was, like like they're on the telephone, like they're on the telephone. Yeah. But the what the thing I I was going into, uh, I had grommets. Do you remember grommets? Any yes. any of your kids have grommets? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had grommets, and uh, they pulled me from the room that I was having uh, beforehand, and they had Brazil Northern Ireland on. Yeah, uh, Brazil versus Northern Ireland. Yossi Miles goal. Yeah, and I uh, I'm watching Brazil Northern Ireland, and I've got to go in and have these grommets, and they put the gas and air on me, and. I, I, they put the grommets in and I come around and supposedly the first thing I say is what's a Brazil Northern Ireland end up and because it was like it was all it was everything in my life it, Mexico 86 I could, you know it was everything that I that was in my life I can remember the family being around the day England play Argentina and, and Maradona scores the goal you know I can uh, the two goals but I'm the one I'm referring to is the one where he runs past seven lads and yeah. just slots it but it was it was it's well, I mean, it's, it's everything I mean, and you know obviously international football is is set in the context of the end game, which is which is a World Cup, a European Championships, a Copa America. If you you know if you if you're a Latin, um, you know it. And ultimately, the World Cup final is still the biggest game of football in the world. It it, it just is, um, because it's the World Cup final. And um, just going back to school references there, and in the sort of the seventies, well, sixties, seventies, and eighties, that one of the pinnacles of the season at season's end was the home internationals, where England, Wales. Scotland and Northern Ireland would play in a group to decide the uh, the British champions, and it always it always ended in uh, a game between England and Scotland, either at Hampden Park or at Wembley. So that would alternate year on year, and that was actually the only other game that was televised other than the FA Cup final, the European Cup final, and 
after the home internationals, there'll be a schoolboy international, England against Brazil or Switzerland or Italy. I remember schoolboy internationals. Which, wow! And uh, Paul Rideout, who, who played for Everton, actually scored the goal when Everton last won a trophy. Scored a hat trick for England schoolboys live on telly in something like nineteen, I don't know, nineteen eighty-one or something like that. Um, four live games a season, FA Cup final, then the European Cup final, then England Scotland, and then the England schoolboys. So. Two of them are international matches. And one of the things that actually does my head in, and, and I think, you know, FAs or uh, federations have, uh, have made a rod for their own back here. Massively. By, by these ridiculous substitutions, sometimes ridiculous venues, ridiculous time and a, a friendlies. They call them friendlies now. They were never known as friendlies. If it, you look in your IT, ITV Times or Radio Times or TV Quick, and it's billed as a friendly international. It was never billed as a friendly. It was international football. And I, rem- I remember, like, when I was, I think it was about nine or ten, England played Holland in, a, in an international football. It was, like, a, effectively a test match, if yeah, you yeah, like. Yeah, that's what that, that, that's it, the, Because, yeah. you know, in rugby and in, and in cricket, you in, in, in rugby you have a test match. Test matches every, every autumn. Again, England, New Zealand, a one-off game. There's no trophy for it. But it's a, it's a test match. It's two, it's two nations that don't might not otherwise play against each other. Uh, except in a World Cup, just pitting the wits against each other, and it was bu- it's billed as a Test match, an international, and um, the whole terminology around football is all wrong. It is all wrong. Call it a friendly. It's not a bloody friendly. It shouldn't be a friendly. But I think the use of the word friendly gives 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 license to managers to make. I think eleven I think changes. I think, no, I think it's really interesting. I think I agree with this. The idea of of the test of there being a test in a test match, you know. But the idea is that we're going to come up against them, someone's going to come out and they're going to be on top, but we're testing ourselves against one another. Well, totally. And that's that's what, what a friendly suggests is something completely different. A friendly is yeah. a stroll, it's a thing it's, that you it's, do for it's, fitness. Well, it, it, it's oh, the complete antithesis, really, to, to, to the notion of a test. It's just a friendly, it's a stroll, it's a, a walk in a park, whatever one you, whatever you know, sort of the name you want to give it. Um, and it has ruined. I think you know, I, I wouldn't say it's ruined international football because the World Cup and the Euros are still really, really enjoyable. What it's ruined is the reputation of international football, and people go, you know, people are increasing into club, club football. Part of that's down to the fact that how much money you have to pay to go and watch it. You know, uh, you and me, you and me will shell out our eight hundred quid on our season ticket. It's important that our players, our product come back from international football, not injured. Um, but there was a time where you'd be made up, you know, you, you, you buy Shoot magazine or Match magazine in the 80s. And although there, was, there wasn't that same pride in the English nation that Liverpool really never had, um, you know, if you, if, you saw, if you had a poster, Kevin Keegan, Liverpool and England in his England shirt, that'd go on you all. Ray Clements, Liverpool and England, that'd go on you all. Um, so yeah. it, it, it was a different thing. The, I think where Liverpool fans fell out of love with England was often that Liverpool players didn't perform particularly well in England teams, mainly because they were surrounded by worse players. And, and therefore the reputation has become impugned. Uh, listen, we're yeah. going to have to sum this little segment up. Uh, on the Reds bet, there's some specials that you can find on there, on the Liverpool specials around Mohamed Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, all scoring in their, uh, their World Cup warm-ups. You can see them on there. You can see the prices. It is redsbet.com and you follow through to all the specials. And as ever, please do gamble responsibly. You can go to begambleaware.org in order to go through all that. Really good to have Mike in, to have a chat about these things, these matters. And now we'll hand you back over to the rest of the show.
Welcome back, Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson here. We'll get back to everyone else in a minute and talk about Liverpool. But what we try to do on our tour player stuff is talk to people who support other clubs. Uh, and we do that and build up to the weekend's matches, so to go through the fixtures. But we also then have a look back over some games. And earlier this week, I spoke to Dan Hewitt about what's been going on at West Bromwich Albion. Dan, you might actually know him from the work he does with, with, with ITV News, uh, but he is a passionate West Bromwich Albion supporter. And we've been speaking to him all season. It's been really interesting to sort of to chart what's been going on at West Brom with him. And it's fair to say he's somewhat at the end of his tether so what we did was we had this conversation we thought you know we're going to keep that back we're going to put it on the radio uh, and here is Dan Hewitt talking about exactly what he feels is going so badly wrong at West Bromwich Albion joined by Dan Hewitt West Brom supporter and it's stunning uh, what's happened to West Bromwich Albion this season I think it is it's uh, it's it's beyond the point now Dan of, of of being able to to find excuses for anybody who's involved in this mess uh, there's no reason why this football club with the squad it's got should be where it is at the bottom of the table by such a distance. And there's no reason why it should be looking at looking at a, a guaranteed now relegation and should be looking at what could be years of having to deal with the ramifications of this. We take it one step at a time. How bad has it been, this campaign? Uh, it's as bad as it gets. Um, I think it's the worst... I think the worst period as, of a fa- as a fan... Uh, I've I've found since I've been following West Brom, which is 24 years, nearly 25 years, um, and I say that not because the football's been the worst in that time, because it's been a lot worse than this in terms of the quality of football. We've we've been at much lower points in in the league system in my lifetime than this. But two things really, I think, make it the, the lowest point. One is the the lack of play effort from the players has been embarrassing. Um, and hard to st- hard, really hard to stomach watching certain players uh, literally not try, which I, I can accuse very few West Brom teams, if any, over the years of not trying, um, despite how bad they've been under certain managers in, in much lower positions than this. Um, and I think secondly, because the club is being run by people that only are only concerned with money, um, and, and that, that's uh, an accusation, obviously thrown at many owners of football clubs these days. But I don't think it's 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 any more evidence, any more evidence is needed that that's the case at West Brom. When you consider we've lost eight games on the bounce, um, we have a manager who is openly trying to get himself the sacked after uh, in post-match interviews, um, openly admitting the players have stopped playing for him. Players openly saying they stopped playing for the manager. Um, and yet the reason why the, the board won't sack him is because there's a release clause in his contract which says that if we get relegated, we don't have to pay him. Um, so five games ago, when the, the club realised we were in the position we are in, um, they effectively relegated, resigned themselves to relegation, which when you consider how poor the Premier League is this season, when you consider eight points is a lot, but it's not insurmountable, um, is criminal. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to believe... Like you said in your introduction, it's hard to believe what's happened really at West Brom, but we are in a situation now where the, the owner of the club doesn't doesn't care about, about us, doesn't care about the fans, has no interest in trying to replace the manager and, 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 and mount a relegation battle. Um, they just care about the handful of a few million quid they can save on not sacking Pardew. And we he's have become the laughing stock of the league. Danny has denied the break clause, Pardew. Say that again, sorry. Pardew has denied the break clause. I, for, for me, I just don't think that's true. I, I, just, I can't understand. Um, yeah. I, 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 I just can't understand how that's the case. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't think that is the case. I, I, if that isn't the case, if he has denied it, and look, we have to take his. If you want to take his word for it, fine. I'm not going to for <laughs> for, for many reasons. Um, I, I, I just don't understand 
give me any other reason why we wouldn't sack him. Um, and and, and it, some have said that it's because why why waste it on another manager? Why bring a new manager and and kind of taint him with the remainder of the season? Uh, some have said it's uh, he he remains the most experienced man they can get in a in a, a lack of good managers out there. I don't see how any of that any of that adds up when you consider the not just the defeats but the way we've lost the performances the amount of games we've just completely rolled over at home to Huddersfield at home to Leicester in particular um I, I, I look it made that I, I just don't buy that 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 claim from Pardew that he the, the, the release clause is not the reason the, the team's just a strange one isn't it Dan because you I remember you came to Anfield earlier in the year and got a point and, and looked well organised and looked like a team who you know could could go about a task well. And I know you've had problems with goals and things like that, but that just seems to what I saw seems to jar completely with the fact that how many games you've led. I think you've thrown away more points from from winning positions than than any other team in the in the in the, in the division. Yeah. And and that that kind of normally if a team's bottom and really really struggling for points they're just they're just losing games of football aren't they they're just struggling to, they're struggling to get ahead they're struggling to do anything the fact that you've led so many games and gone on to, to lose so many just 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 seems so unusual for me for the, for the team in that position it's yeah, like they're doing the hard part the most, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the most frustrating element of, of, of this whole of whole this whole sort of debacle is that is that we've shown in so many games, kind of flashes um, uh, as, of, of what you said at the start in your introduction, that this team, okay, this team, you can see on paper its weaknesses, its flaws, and you can see how they would be in and around the relegation fight. I can't see how they can be nine, eight, nine, ten points drift. And that's that's yeah. where it comes down to. And I think there has been games, many games. So I think it's over 21 points I think we've got from running position, something, yeah. something utterly ridiculous like that, um, where we have shown that we can play a bit of football that we can show a bit of steel that we can actually score goals um it's the lack of character and the lack of fight that's led to so many points being dropped i mean we scored we went one nil up against bournemouth on saturday and honestly lads i honestly hand on heart say not one part of me for even a second thought we'd win that game even when we went one nil up you are just waiting for some error some lapse of concentration uh, just a, a moment of complete um Almost kind of comical defending, which and, and in the end it was it was a terrible um, bit of goalkeeping from Ben Foster, and then a cheap free kick, and that's 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 sums up our season. If I don't buy, it's kind of luck goes against you. It's not luck; it's just concentration. It's concentrating in those moments, and and it's it comes to a point where you think these are professional footballers, and how much are they? How much do they actually care? And I, I, honestly, I, I'm not one of these fans who questions that, who kind of easily says the players don't care. I honestly can hand on heart say, I believe at least half of that squad stopped trying seven or eight games ago and have stopped playing in games, stopped putting the extra bit of effort in, not even the extra bit of effort, in some cases, any effort, and have completely taken their eye off the ball, don't care at all about the, the fight we're in, and are, are, are in, in, in my opinion, an absolute disgrace to the shirt. And what's going on at West Brom right now is you have a, a manager who knows he's going to get sacked. You've got a chairman, who know, an owner that knows he's going to sack him and a group of players that know he's going to get sacked and almost want him sacked. And yet nothing is changing. And it's become, I can only imagine from an outsider's point of view what you think of our club right now. But from, from an insider's point of view, from a West Brom fan, 
I, I find the whole thing utterly shameful and utterly embarrassing. You, what do you, you might get battered one week because at the moment, obviously, the results are, are quite close. You're losing games. But I'm, for example, thinking about Liverpool, who are, who are going to come there, who, who scored five at the weekend and looking forward. And I'm thinking, if they're coming up against some lads who aren't trying, <laughs> they're really in trouble. Does that concern you? There might be one or two games between now and then the season. You think, forget about getting beat. We're going to get a real pace then if, we're, if, if something doesn't happen. Well, we did at home to Leicester. We lost 4-1 at home to Leicester. Um, after, again, after being, after being 1-0 up. Um, so it's already happened. I think the Leicester performance w- was a pasting. Losing 4-1 at home to a team that hadn't won in five games yeah. Yeah. Um, was was pretty bad. But yeah, I agree. Um, we, we we haven't actually had our tough running yet. Pardew's actually had it pretty... Uh, I mean, there's no easy games in the Premier League and all that, but has it has had, it has had a pretty generous run. And when he came in, he's had all the teams around us to play almost now twice um, and has managed to pick up a single Premier League win, which is the same amount of taxes the players have stolen in that time so <laughs> it, it, it's it's just it's just I, 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 I that's my my I say worry I've stopped worrying now because it, you know, I've kind of given up on them but I, I, I would worry about going to, to going to Old Trafford in, in April and and, and, and and playing even a team like Man United who aren't prolific goal scorers just seeing it as an opportunity to play West Brom and if you go one up in the first 15 minutes you can see it just completely collapsing because even when they're 1-0 up even with 25 minutes to go and they're 1-0 up they collapse against teams like Huddersfield and Leicester and Bournemouth and Watford so yes you're right playing against a team like, like Liverpool a prolific side like like Man City or, or Chelsea I think that's that's one I, I would start to worry as I say, I say worry I say I've stopped <laughs> I've stopped worrying <laughs> for my own mental health I've had to detach myself from them but um my biggest worry now, and this may be your next question, but my biggest worry now is actually is 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 two twofold. One, who is in charge of our football club, and we still don't really know the answer to that question. What what his intentions are, who he is, and why he never comes over to Britain to watch us play. And secondly, um, the, the long term impact on this run of form going into next season, because we've seen teams where they've got relegated very convincingly, very early on in the Premier League, and staying up the following season never mind coming back up but staying up as you've seen with Sunderland can be an ask in itself and that's my worry the knock-on effect this has for next season there's, there's also the age of these players someone pointed out over the weekend how many of these lads are over 27 Dan and that's the you know yeah. that, that is also the next thing there's firstly a few that might make a move but even if they hang around but there's there's a fair few lads here who are very much at the tail end of their careers yeah and I think that's that you've got a question to ask really um the, the, the kind of the, the question, whoever the new manager is coming in, will have a kind of the, the, the question to ask himself, which is, do you kind of do a bit of a clear out of the dead wood and sort of start again, and maybe accept that it might not take the the first season, but you sort of build build a new squad around a handful of the younger players that we can hang on to, hand people like Craig Dawson, I'd like to keep on to, um, Oliver Burke, uh, I think someone like James McLean would be very good in the championship. Um, and you kind of the, the the mass majority of them, you either let them go, you either let them go or you sell them on. Um, or do you do you try and use that aid, use that experience? That, that, oh, being over twenty seven in the championship isn't actually necessarily a bad thing. Um, you can build a team around those experienced players. It's the question is how tainted are, how tainted is this squad of players by what is happening right now? Will they be able easily to detach themselves from this disastrous era? 
under Alan Pardew uh, and push on under a new manager next season? Or will is, is it a case that there's a real kind of bitterness, a real sourness around this, the whole club that will need gutting effectively? The vast majority of the squad needs ripping out and starting again, which isn't cheap. Um, and that comes back to the question of, of how committed is our owner? I mean, he won't sack... Alan Pardew, if, it, if it's not about money, I, 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 for the love of for the love of God, I hope it is about money because I would question the guy's insanity if, if we're keeping him for footballing reasons, um, because it's just so clear to everyone, including the manager himself, that that, that it has been it has been the most disastrous appointment in in the modern history of our football club. Um, so, um, if the question is, will he use the parachute payments we'll get? to reinvest back in the squad. But this is a man, let's remember, who bought a Premier League football club thinking it would remain a Premier League football club for many years to come. He bought what he thought was a very stable, profit-making Premier League football club. That is now going to be in huge question. And how committed is he to the the, the task, the process of rebuilding a football team for another division? Um, I mean, he doesn't come and watch us now when we play teams like Liverpool, never mind when we're playing teams like Shrewsbury. So, um, how interested he'll be, I don't know. OK, uh, thank you very much indeed to Dan Hewitt. Always great to speak to Dan. Uh, speak to Dan relatively often. I have this great shame. I love Dan's contributions to all of our, our stuff. And I have this great shame when... I mean, I like all of our contributors who come on and talk about other clubs, obviously, and I'm also obliged to say that. But it also happens to be true. But there's, there's like the point at this stage of the season where I'll have conversations with John where I'll be like, I really don't want to lose Dan with West Brom, but they're going to go down. Uh, so I'm, I've got, I'm going to have to get a really good Wolves solution and quick uh, and all of that sort of stuff. But anyway, Dan's fantastic whenever he comes and speaks to us. I hope you enjoyed that. just wanted to showcase that. But showcase it in the context, Dan Austin, of we, in every single sense, I, I say this all the time, the football team you watch the most is Liverpool. Obviously, it's Liverpool. The second, the football team you watch the second most is Liverpool from the old days in your head, <laughs> uh, which really doesn't help when you're trying to have a sensible conversation with someone <laughs> about centre midfielder and the essence of their point is why can't we just buy Graeme Souness? Um, <laughs> but there is... There is a point here which is there for the football club where we have the greatest interaction, the greatest interaction in the stands, the greatest interaction with the hierarchy, the greatest interaction with the idea of how the football clubs run. We haven't got a clue how most clubs up and down the country are actually run. We hear bits and dispatches, but we actually don't know that much as Liverpool supporters. And yet you're looking at West Brom here and, you know, it's a reminder that we might at times better get a bit grumpy about Liverpool and we want them to be the best in every department, but good Lord, it could be a hell of a lot worse. And you look at most of the Premier League sides and it could actually be a lot worse. Yeah, and you look at our own history as well and see the same thing. Um, and I think that sort of um, saves us a positive in some ways and a negative in others. I think the sort of hangover of Hicks and Gillette is the, a lot of, well, I think, I think it comes for all of us at certain times, um, feel like we have to fight battles with the ownership um, and that's just probably always going to be the case a little bit now because that's what we had to do for it was, it was years and years and it felt like a lot longer because of what was going on but at, at the other end of the scale um, nothing is, is well in theory ever going to be as serious as that was or, or, or disheartening as that was or feel like it, it's it's as long as that was um, so I th- it, it means that sometimes we get gripey about things that are important, are definitely important, and and that you you know you might want to see positive change about, but it's not the level of quite literally the club's life and death that it was just what seven or eight years ago. The last major sort of flare up, and I think it's worth pulling in Kathy in the context of what's just happened with Spurs with the new stadium. 
the last major flare-up I think Liverpool supporters had was around the desire for tiered pricing at Anfield, which left some seats ridiculously expensive. And that led Indeed. to the walkout. And I sort of think since the walkout, I'm optimistic that internally in the club, a few lessons have been learned. Maybe a few fingers have been burnt a little bit about trying to do certain stuff. And then when you do look at Spurs, you know, you can look at Spurs on that. They're doing well on the pitch, but there's questions around the wage stuff and then there's they're now, they're now really irritating their own supporters with this tier pricing Chelsea are doing mad things in the transfer market you think the manager's going to go Arsenal are in perpetual crisis to crisis Man United things seem unhappy my point is that for the first time we at least feel like we're getting close to firstly Liverpool pulling in the same direction but also Liverpool pulling in the same direction more so than their rivals yeah, I think so. And I think when you look at other clubs, you, you always have to understand, and I think clubs have to understand the context they're working in with their own supporters, which is different everywhere you go. And there's things you can do at other clubs that you cannot do at Anfield. With pricing, for instance. You know, I, I feel for the Tottenham fans because they've actually, their trust has got a really good relationship with the club. And it's actually making it really hard for them because they've got an ongoing dialogue and then, then they feel like they just get shafted on pricing because then everybody says, well, actually, you know, we're going to blame you because you were in the dialogue. And this is what we've ended up with. And as we all know, dialogue doesn't mean you get what you want. I always thought when we had our £77 protest, in the very same week, Crystal Palace put their tickets up in the middle of their main stand to £84. I think it went up something like 47%. And the headline in the Evening Standard was Palace set to help fans because they were helping them by allowing them to move, which is exactly what was happening at Liverpool. And I just think it's a great lesson in, if you try to do that at Liverpool, you will have a walkout on your hands. If you do it at Palace, you'll get away with it. Should we flip that the other way? Sometimes I think as Liverpool supporters, Cathy, what we do, what, what we can be guilty of, guilty is the wrong word, but we presume that our, our problems, our mm. gripes about, for instance, access are universal that they become universal problems, universal mm. gripes, whereas, you know, there's a lot of clubs in the country who aren't selling out every week. So we talk loads about access. Can we get more yes. kids in the ground? Can more people be able to get tickets, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas there's elsewhere in the country where, well, that doesn't matter. Well, that's the least of our worries. Working in football, I'd get this all the time where people just say to me, you know, you don't know how lucky you are, you know, to be in that position. I, we talk about touting. We talk about what to do about the touting market, you know, and the, and the number of clubs that would say, I'd so love to have a touting problem. You know, we don't yeah. have that. And I'd be looking at clubs. I remember Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers with the Blackburn Rovers Action Group, who, when the Venkies took over, spent absolutely months of their time. I mean, they just lived and breathed trying to figure out what the conspiracy was because the only thing that made sense was that this was a conspiracy. It did not make sense that they were incompetent. Yeah. And I was with them on that because I knew that if it was a conspiracy, there was something you could do about it. Actually, the, the fact, as it turned out to be the truth, which was it was incompetence, was a was much harder truth to believe because they couldn't fix that. There is there is something about watching the club be, be able to get close to being at peace with itself, Rob. It's, 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 it's bad news, people getting thrown out for what went on in the cop last week from the reports that you've got so far. But... What's also important is is that you know to, to to frame to to try to keep the positivity going certainly across this season. It feels as though internally there is a lot of pulling in the same direction. That there is a lot of of of, of the manager getting on well with his recruitment team, with his scouts, with 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 the way in which the money operates. Yeah. That appears to be harmonious, genuinely harmonious. Other aspects appear to be hopefully in general. There might be some news hopefully soon on the Anfield Road. It was hinted at a few weeks back. Pulling in the same direction matters and counts and. It, it would be nice to that the you know, the club meets us halfway on some stuff here as well and keeps keeps that going because they've got it at the minute. Don't throw it away cheaply now. Well, winning breeds that, but there's a chicken or egg question: is is the winning a byproduct of everyone pulling in the same direction? I do I do think there needs to be a culture at a football club of pulling in the same direction, and 
although we, you know as fans we want to be uh, keep owners accountable we've been scarred as everyone said we want to be diligent we want to be keep keep our eyes open that is at times at odds with what Klopp has, has preached if you like this sort of his mission statements we need a one club mentality we need to believe we need to almost become cult like about ourselves and believe we're all we're all going in the same direction it's hard as I said it's, it's hard to know whether simple things like the manager being really good at putting footballers on a pitch and inspiring them is what's creating this because winning lots of games by fours and fives does do that but Having said that, you know, as, you, as you've alluded to, throughout the club, there are things ha- beginning to work well and efficiently, like the recruitment from being, uh, you know, uh, what our shame, really, our recruitment policy was for, for years. We, we actually got to the point where we'd rather us not buy footballers because we just make bad buys. Now, it's, can't wait to be buying footballers <laughs> again because they're yeah. all fantastic. They're all value for money. Um, I don't, yeah, you're right. Nick. I also think the ownership have matured and that helps. I think there's something further on that. We've got this foundation game this weekend, Cathy, and I think Liverpool, they're also getting better at talking about the work that they're doing elsewhere. And there's also the move, for instance, having brought Tony Barrett in. And it's not to ascribe everything that's good at the club to Tony, however uh, nice a person he is, and I think everyone around here knows him relatively well. But it is, it, 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 when Rob uses the phrase there, sort of matures, it, it suggests that there is a, there's, there's been an attempt to use greater brain power. And that's why, for instance, talk of people getting thrown off the cop for, 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 for what happened last week really does make you tut as you've just done. Like, just please don't get into this. Don't start this. Yeah. You've got to be better. Because if you if you just keep this going, keep doing the right things well, we'll all we'll all be delighted. That, that that was how I felt. It was like, everything seems like it's going so well. And everybody knew on the cop last week what that was, what that atmosphere was about. Obviously, you know, we were playing well. But it was mm. about it was about building up to a European night. It was about rehearsing. Yeah. It was about us just being us and being able to enjoy that. And, and actually what's quite rare, even when we've had big wins, to actually feel quite relaxed at the game and to do that. And that was what I think seems so astonishing about it. Because to me, that's what, what clubs have really got to do. And it's why people like Tony are important. Is they've got to understand where the fans are and and, and understand what's happening in games like that. Yeah, without- why we're standing up, why we're singing and why we're doing stuff. They've got to just instinctively know. That's why the Tony appointment is so important. I mean, in the past, that happens, and then a few people at the club end up scratching their heads on a Monday morning going, is this criminality, or how do we deal with this, guys? You know, and they have a conversation in Boston. Now they've got, they've got a guy who literally can speak the language. He's, he, it's as though, you know, it's as though they brought in a Frenchman to deal with the French. He can, he <laughs> yeah. can, he can do this. He can translate. He's, he's, very, yeah. he's very skilled at understanding the, the culture of the fans. Mm. And you'd hope, having hired him, they listen to him keenly now. Um, yeah. The last part of this, Danny, is is that positivity and how it, it bounces into the game that is at the forefront of our minds. It is in Crystal Palace away and we might get our fingers burnt off the back of that, but it is most definitely, the, first of all, that home leg against Manchester City. It's also where on that, you know, Manchester City seem a bit out of touch in terms of the, all that nonsense this week around this, the, the bus and everyone's worried about yeah. this and everyone's worried about mm. that. In that you would think that English football as a whole really would hold its supporters close. That if you want to say you're the best league in the world, you're not necessarily going to have the best players, but you can say things like we've got full grounds or mostly full grounds, big atmospheres, everyone cares, it's all action. Don't start sort of throwing this stuff away cheaply. Yeah, this tie is, is something to be celebrated, I think, by um, by, the, by the league, by, by everyone to do with English football, because it's... It's the tie of the round, for one it, thing. It, exactly. Um, it, it's possibly a shame that the two of them aren't going to be in the semi-finals, and, and you know, it's, statistics will show that there was one English team in the, in, in the semi-finals, and possibly two Spanish ones, or three Spanish ones, or whatever. Um, but it's very much the two most 
enthralling teams, I think, at the minute in Europe. Um, that's not to say that they're necessarily the best. Barcelona might be better than both of them. Real Madrid might be better than both of them. Um, but they're the two I think that people are probably most interested in. Um, and that comes down to loads of different things. It's, it's, it's the managers. It's the individual players that they've got the season that De Bruyne has had for City, the season that Salah has had with us. Um, and it, it, it feels like there should be a bit of a, you know, way back. Because, I mean, City got to a European Cup semi-final a few years ago um, when Pellegrini was in charge and he played Real Madrid. And I think it, I think it was 1-0 to Real Madrid in the end after, after, after the two legs. And City didn't really show up. And I don't think it was anything specifically for English football to be proud of and say, oh, you know, we're back at the top of, of, of European football here alongside everyone else. Um, this, despite being an early round and, and despite, you know, United have won a Europa League last year and Arsenal might win a Europa League this year, but they're not the things that are going to make people talk about you to get excited about you again. This tie, there being a big atmosphere around this tie, um, it, it, it drawing the television viewers, whatever else, is the thing that sells English football back to people and says, this is what we're good at. You know all them years that you've been watching Barcelona play Real Madrid six times a season or whatever it is, and you know the way everyone's a little bit bored of that now. We've got this. We've got these fellas who play mad football week in, week out, and, and some of the best players in the world and all that 50, kind of 50,000 maniacs. On the exactly, and people are, people are going to be going mad for 90 minutes of the whole thing. Um, I actually think the atmosphere at the away leg will be quite good as well, um, as much as they get... You know, the mix took out of them a bit for having empty seats and the stuff about booing the anthem and stuff like that. When we've been there for our last two um, away league matches, I think it's been all right. Um, certainly better than different away games I've been to. Certainly better than, in comparison, Old Trafford, I would think, at times as well. Because I think there's a bit of a rivalry building up with them at this stage. Not in the way that we have a rivalry with Everton or United, but just the... We play football in a sort of similar way. You know, it, it, it's two teams that really want to win. It's two teams that, that play in an attacking sense. It's two managers that have got history. Um, as much as they've got a local rivalry with United, it's not really a genuine one. Um, United would definitely still hold Liverpool as their major rival. So City needs someone in the same way that recently Guardiola has been talking about. They just need numbers on the board in terms of trophies. And that's why he was playing all his big players in um, the League Cup and in the FA Cup. They need a rivalry. They, they, they need a reason to exist. They need a reason to be at the top of the table. They can't just be the, the best team and that's the end of it. Um, and I think it's no coincidence then that those two teams are simply the ones that are having the most fun at the minute and the supporters that are having the most fun. And it, it, Well, it probably should be Manchester City. This stuff in the week with the bus, as you say, is a bit of nonsense. Um, but I, I, aside from that, they're the two of the team kind of the most carefree and the most like the just enjoying and going watching the football team. Having the most fun indeed. Uh, thank you very much to Dan Austin, to Cathy Long, to Rob Gutman uh, this week and to John Gibbons and to the, the former footballers and to Dan Hewitt, cast a thousand to what you get on Radio City Talk with, with us at the Anfield Wrap on a Friday evening. Having the most fun indeed. Let's not stop that from happening anywhere we can. Sports Social Podcast Network.